Hello, everybody, and welcome to our podcast, What's Cooking? My name is Rafael Tojalvo. I'm a graduate resident fellow at, in Alice Cook House. And today for the podcast, I'm having a very special guest, Julie McLean, which is a house fellow here at Alice Cook House. She's a coordinator for the Humanities Scholars Program at the AD White House. And she's going to be talking a little bit about herself, about her trajectory and, and the resources available to you students. She received a BA in art history from William Smith College, and she completed her MA in art history with a concentration in Italian Renaissance at the Syracuse University Center in Florence, Italy. And after that, she worked in some of the most respectable uh, institutions, such as the Guggenheim Museum in New York City, the Art, art Institute of Chicago, and she is current and she was also the coordinator of public programs at the Cornell's Herbert F. Johnson Museum of Art. So Julie, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Raphael, and, and thank you to Cookhouse for inviting me, first of all, to even be a house fellow, which has been a wonderful experience thus far. And thank you for inviting me to do the podcast. Absolutely. Super excited to be chatting with you today. Tell us a little bit about yourself, um, where you grow up, about your, you know, very impressive resume, clearly. So how do you went through this trajectory? Sure. So I grew up in this region. I grew up in a place called Endicott, New York, which is only about an hour away from Ithaca. It's a very sort of blue collar type of place, I guess you could say. So not a lot of not a ton of art experience going on. I mean, there are a few things and uh, a small museum and such, but I guess I had a pretty kind of standard schooling experience. And then it was really my dad who was an art major in college. He ended up having a different profession altogether, but he's an artist and he just had a lot of art books in the house and that got me interested. And then when I was in high school, he took me to MoMA in New York City. And it was the first time I'd been to a really large museum. And I was just in awe and seeing, you know, at that age, I was so excited to see Van Gogh's Starry Night in, in person, in the real piece, which I had a poster of in my bedroom. And it was just a really transformative experience to see the real work. And it kind of sparked an interest at that point. Then I went on to college and my parents encouraged me to take an art history class because I just didn't know exactly what to do, what I wanted to do. And they said, you know, you, you might like this. Like we know you kind of like you're interested in art and give it a try. And I ended up really enjoying it. I had a terrific advisor who was very encouraging and inspiring. I kind of developed this specific interest in Italian Renaissance, probably mostly because my family is Italian. I wanted to go to Italy and I had already been to Italy. I wanted to go back. <laughs> so I studied abroad in Rome as an undergraduate. And then after college, um, I knew that I wanted to do something in art or the arts and that I wanted to go to the city because that was 
what, you know, what would offer me the most opportunity. And so I worked my alumni network, which I highly encourage you all to do. Yours at Cornell is much larger than mine (laughs) at William Smith, but we have one. And I reached out to people, alums who were working in New York City in the arts, and there happened to be one at the Guggenheim. And she wrote to me and said, I have a position opening. Would you like to come interview? And I did and got the job. And that kind of set me on that path of really falling in love with museum work. And it just kind of developed from there. And another alum had been through the Syracuse University Florence program. And she said, you know, I think you'd really, this is a perfect fit for you. You love museums. You love to do research with primary sources original works of art in their original space, for instance, works that are hanging in churches that have been there for hundreds of years, sculptures that were made for specific palaces, etc. So that was like the vein that I followed and just um, really fell in love with it. And my role within museums was education, which I think A lot of people think about working in museums and you kind of know what a curator does and you think about curatorial work, but there's lots of other roles, a lot of other ways to become involved in museum work. And and my love, true love was through education because I love talking to people and teaching people about the art and connecting with people and helping them feel comfortable in a museum space so that they don't walk in and go like, I don't know anything about this stuff. And I feel like I'm supposed to know all of these facts about the art, but the educator's role is to just kind of help people engage with the art. And so that's what I did. My internship at the Art Institute of Chicago was in museum education, then went on to be the associate curator of education at the Smith College Museum of Art at Smith College in Massachusetts. And that was just before coming here to the Johnson Museum, where, as you said, I coordinated public programs, which means leading tours, leading workshops, getting people excited about the art. In fact, that was how I met Professor Allred. She came and met with me at the museum because she wanted to bring a group of cookhouse students to see an exhibition that we did about immigration and migration in contemporary art. And we made a connection at that point. And then I just became so lucky to be asked to be a house fellow. Wow. No, that's absolutely incredible. I mean, I absolutely love this idea of breaking down these boundaries, right? Uh, People have a conception that sometimes art is something just for you know, the elite, exactly. which is not, you know, and it is a, can be accessible, right? And it's our role to make sure people can have access to this type of knowledge, right? So it's absolutely fantastic what you do. Absolutely. And I think, so just to jump to my current role. So after being at the Johnson Museum, I transitioned within Cornell to this role that I have now at the AD White House, which is working to coordinate the Humanities Scholars Program, and it's a new program. We have just finished our first year with our first cohort of juniors. And the idea with this program is to to support students who are involved with the humanities. So that, that could be students who are art history majors like I was, 
or history or English or cultural studies of different kinds. And I think what attracted me to the role was similar to what you were saying, just encouraging students to bring together their expertise and interest in such a way that kind of opens up all of these fields for everyone, because there is, you know, unfortunately, this idea of art being elitist and um, we always kind of want to know like what's the value how much is it worth you know I can I can't tell you how many times that was the first question people would ask me on a tour at the Johnson Museum how much did this one cost <laughs> and you know just to try to like shift the culture around that um, I think is part of what what I'm trying to do and help change that mentality you know, it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, tell, tell me a little bit more about the Humanities Scholars Program, because it's a brand new uh, program that we have here in Cornell, and it's, you guys are going through the first cohort right now. So tell me a little bit more about how the program is structured and what are the, some of the resources available for the students that are in this program? Sure, sure. So the Humanities Scholars Program is neither a major or a minor it's a program similar to milstein and some of these other programs that we have in the college of arts and sciences here at cornell and the idea behind the program which was funded by very generous donors who were wishing to support in a kind of new way a sort of very unique special humanities experience for juniors and seniors who might come together around different disciplines. And their very generous gift funded this program, which allows juniors and seniors to focus on a particular topic within their field of study. And they can be either majoring or minoring in a humanities field, which is one of the kind of unique aspects about the program. So you can be a student from any college at Cornell, but if you have a, a humanities minor, you're eligible to apply for this program. So for instance, we have a student who's a mechanical engineering major and a music minor, and he's in the program. And there are students, you know, majoring obviously in humanities fields, but others who are minoring. So we wanna create a cohort that brings together these different disciplines that have the connecting umbrella of being humanities fields. And the support for them comes through, we have a board of faculty members who serve as mentors and who teach specific courses that are required for our students to complete before the end of their two years. So there's a little set of three required courses, and then the students are asked to take two elective courses, which really can be almost anything in a humanities field, just to support their understanding of how does one do research in the humanities and what does that mean. And then the other piece of the program, which kind of touches my heart, is this financial support that we offer for the students in the program to do their research. So they're eligible to apply for program specific research grants, 
So if they want to attend a conference that's out of town at once we are able to travel again out of town, they can apply to us for funding to make that happen or even present at a conference and obtain like pre-professional experience. And then we also have summer experience grants. So students who are in the humanities, when you go on to have a practical experience, most of the time this is going to look something like we're working in an archive, looking at an archive or researching in a library or a museum, some form of a collection, right? And oftentimes there isn't necessarily a paying job that goes along with that. And that can be challenging. So if you're a student who really needs to work in the summer and really needs funding for your rent or wherever you are to be able to do an internship or a, a volunteer position at some form of archive, then you can apply to HSP's summer funding in order to be able to kind of make that happen for yourself so that by the time you graduate from Cornell with your two years in the Humanities Scholars Program, you will have created, you will have researched in depth your topic, created a thesis and presented it. So the final kind of step is presenting your research at the Humanities Scholars Conference, which takes place every May. And that's part of my job to organize that conference. And in fact, we're, this year's conference is on May 6th and 7th. It is virtual this year, but future years it will be in person with lots of really good refreshments at the 80 White House. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, uh, uh, yeah, uh, it's just think looking at the program, how, how phenomenal to have this type of, of support. I mean, this clearly will help someone that wants to pursue, you know, a, even a master's or a PhD in the humanities really will help prepare them yeah. to go into that field. But I mean, of course, you can go through this program and end up doing something else. There's so many ways of, of, of doing things within, within the humanities, right? Right, and, right. And the idea is that we're, we're helping students who are either thinking of becoming scholars or researchers or working in collections. So something like what I did as a museum career or um, working for a symphony or working in an archive or a large library. So that's what, what we're trying to help do and maintain because sometimes the funding in those fields and in those organizations, because they're often nonprofits, the funding isn't there or they struggle with it. So we're hoping that we can sort of help alleviate that for some of the organizations by, and one of the goals we have is like creating our own paid internships at sites that are some in Ithaca and some that are maybe offsite, even in New York City, so that we can use our funding to pay for a student to go and help at an organization and do a research project, help with a book that someone's writing or, you know, this sort of thing. Yeah, it, which brings me to my next point, the, the, the role of institutions in, in supporting and creating opportunities, mm -hmm. right? 
we often forget that institutions are also people because what consists what creates an institution are the people that are working there and the decisions that are made within the institution are made actually by people right so you have a very important role in here in shaping this aspect the institutional aspect of, of cornell to create this program and make it accessible to our students and of course that resonates much more broadly with our community and other institutions right yeah yeah i think that's especially true of our program because um you know it was funded by this very generous donation so the college receives this money and then there's human beings that have to make the program happen. And our program is uh, Professor Durba Ghosh, who's a historian and she's the faculty director. And then we have a program manager, her name's Emily Parsons, and then we have me. So there's really just the three of us. Um, we do have two postdoctoral fellows who are also funded by the program. Their role is more of a mentoring role and they um, work with the students on research, but as far as like making the actual program happen, like it's us. And if you look at our website, like I took the picture that's on our website and <laughs> Emily and I wrote the text and I edit the text. <laughs> um, it's very true. And I think it's a good point um, for, for undergrads to kind of think about um, all of the ways that you can participate in an institution, whether you um, think of your role in post-college as one that's very sort of like a specific vocation, like you're thinking you're going to be an engineer, or you're going to be a doctor, or you're going to be a lawyer, but, you know, remember that um, it's also, there are also really fulfilling and interesting jobs and roles within larger institutions like Cornell. And that can be a really great track for you all to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think of the way you're putting here, I think of myself, I came from a performance background and through my love for music history and musicology, I ended up being an academic program. So, I mean, there's so many ways, you know, sometimes we have this conception that I'm going to graduate, I'm going to end up being an engineer, I'm going to end up being a lawyer, and yeah. then other things in life happen, Yeah. and we have to shift our focus and adapt, sure. and we discover this whole new world, which is absolutely fantastic, right? Yes, yes, very much so, and I think, you know, um, I can speak for myself you know, I, I've certainly had moments in my life where I've thought, um, geez, you know, this, this, and this is true, someone that I went to high school with um, ended up working in the early phases of eBay and is now like a multimillionaire venture capitalist in, you know, Silicon Valley. And, you know, other people have done other things of that nature. And I think it's, you can put the sort of pressure on yourself of like, oh, what am I going to do and what, what's going to be my contribution? But I can tell you that for me, working at the colleges and universities and museums that I've worked at has been absolutely fulfilling. Um, I love to learn. And so 
you know, the majority of my job might be sort of like writing emails and editing websites and creating social media posts. But because I do it at Cornell, I get to be a house fellow, first of all, and interact with all of you in these exciting ways to attend lectures and workshops and take a class for free. I get to, I've just taken two um, mid-level Italian courses, like just for fun, and I can do it for free as an employee. So just as you are um, in whatever year that you're in as an undergrad, um, I guess just know that like your path might lead you in some different directions and you might not know exactly what you want it to be and that's totally okay and you will find your way and you'll figure out what your skill set is and um and not not to worry too much about um you know all of this sort of like you must find your passion and you must <laughs> you must this and that, like sometimes being happy in your work is that you get a paycheck that's decent and you can use it to live the life that is fine with you. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. And not only that, right? I mean, you might end up not doing something, but you're going to do something else. Yes. Right? If you were not, if you're just like thinking of one experience, that ends up being limiting, right? Yeah. So you, when you end up doing something else, you experience, experience something totally different, which is very uh, enriching and enlightening as well, right? Okay. So I think we should never take that as a failure, right? We oh, I plan to be a lawyer, but I end up doing something else. That's you, that's the great part of it. You end up doing something else that can be very fulfilling, can be very interesting, and you can uh, contribute to your community and be happy with your your role and what you're doing right there are so many different ways of seeing what success looks like right Absolutely. why measure yourself in relation to someone else when we all come from different paths walks of life right yeah, so true so true that's right so talking about ingredients for success yeah <laughs> that's absolutely. right absolutely Everybody's got their own ingredients so you mentioned that you are um, a house fellow here and what are, are the things that you find most fulfilling about being part of the Alice Cook House community? Yeah, I, so I started, I became a house fellow in the fall of 2019. So I had one full semester and one half semester, I suppose. And during that time, I think I came every week, maybe except for one. And I have two young girls. They are, well, I guess they were eight and six while we were coming to the house dinners. And what I absolutely loved about it and will continue to love when we come back is that it just completely opened up their world in a way that made my heart very happy. So we live in a, a place in this region that is fairly homogenous, let's say, um, culturally speaking. And so to sit them down at a table where to your right is a student from Korea, to your left is a student from Africa. And 
you know, talking to them, getting to know them about their experience in their life and just, just seeing the girls be like, wow, that is so cool. <laughs> and then we came one night, I brought my older daughter to one of the GRFs put on like a mug painting activity. And this was right before Christmas. And we sat there and she was just like soaking it all in. There was all these students there and they were, oh, you're doing such a good job, you know? And so she loved that. And at the same time, so we were in the space that's near the front door. I can't remember what that room is called, but anyway, it has a large whiteboard on it. And there were some students who were doing some math studying and they had written out all of these very extensive calculations on this whiteboard while the rest of us are sitting there decorating these mugs. And at a certain point when we were on our drive home, my daughter says to me, you know, like, what were those math things that those guys were doing? <laughs> and I just said, you know, when you get to college, you know, math is much more, um, expansive and you'll start to see letters in it and things like this. And she was just like, wow. She said, I really want to know how to figure out what they were doing. That's amazing. And I just thought this is fantastic. And so that's, I think, a great part of the House Fellow program is that there's hopefully a benefit to the students to be able to interact with those of us who are sort of grownups, so to speak. <laughs> um, and to be able to see kids and, and meet different people, but we get so much out of it as well. Um, so it's a great reciprocal relationship. I absolutely love the idea that you're integrating your family into the community and, and you know, and that's opening up their eyes to, you know, there's a whole world out there, right? People from, from different countries, different cultures, different ways of thinking, it's just, it's, so fantastic to see them realizing that yes absolutely uh, great feeling yeah. incredible incredible you also thought we also talked a little bit about you said that you had like a mentor that kind of like guided you uh during your uh, undergrad studies and led you to uh, to study art and you talk about the influence of your father in 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 your development and developing your love for arts for the arts right yeah. so do you also do some mentoring here not only as a house fellow of course because we get to interact and talk with people through the program um how, how does is that how do you negotiate that yeah yeah so um thus far kind of at cornell i did some more in-depth mentoring in my role at the Johnson Museum, right. where specifically I had an, um, an in internship in my role as a manager. So I worked very closely with one student and then um, pretty closely with another group of students who were each assigned to other staff people within the education department. And the museum also has what's called the Museum Club, which is a group of students who volunteer for um, various activities, most of which are student focused, but they would also help me with my public programs. 
And that's very, very fulfilling. And I, I mentored as well at the Smith College Museum of Art and had interns and groups of volunteers. And I think that I learned that I really love that aspect of the jobs that I've had. Um, and it was very fulfilling to me when one of my students went on to work in museums and I was able to like write them a stellar recommendation letter or work a connection from somebody that I know from graduate school or things along those lines. And I, I plan to do that with the Humanities Scholars Program. I think our challenge is that our applications were due March 11th, 2020. <laughs> so our cohort was formed right as things kind of went the way they did with COVID. And um, we've been doing our best to connect virtually, but I think once we're back in the fall, my plan is to host coffee hours every week at the 80 White House where students can just come in and we can talk about what they're working on, what they're thinking about. Um, because in this fall, we will have for the first time our full cohort, which is 30 juniors and 30 seniors. So there'll be plenty of students to just pop in and kind of help um, guide them along with the other program staff and the postdoctoral fellows. That's absolutely incredible. I mean, it's a big cohort, although, I mean, it's 30 some students, it's quite big, but I'm sure it's very competitive as well for people that are applying because we have such a large uh, community here at Cornell. What is the profile? What, what is exactly the type of, of students that you guys looking for? What are some of the key characteristics and key um, uh, aspects that you are looking for on an applicant? Yeah, so I think one key aspect is a student who might already express some form of interdisciplinary combination um, and interest that might bridge either, perhaps they're a double major in two fields, one is humanities, but one isn't. And they may have already thought about some um, thread that connects the two of them. So I think we're interested in interdisciplinary thinking. Um, and I think the, one of the examples that um, Paul Fleming, who is kind of the original faculty director for this program or original um, faculty member who helped start the program. He's the director of the Society for the Humanities, um, where Durba Ghosh is the director for the Humanities Scholars Program. Paul's example was often talking about, let's say there's a student who is um, a computer scientist who also is interested in philosophy. So maybe their research could help us think about what are the ramifications of artificial intelligence in today's society? So um, we're looking for students who want to apply humanities research methods to their research topic. Um, and also, I guess I would say the other piece of it, piece of it would be, has the student formed or is starting to form a big question 
what is their big question that they might be thinking about? Is it climate change and how climate change affects indigenous cultures in Asia? You know, so a student who's already got this thing that they're thinking about that they want to research, and maybe they're not in English or history, which are departments that have kind of clear like honors thesis trajectories, but maybe they're in a smaller department, but they're really interested in doing something like an honors thesis or a capstone project. That's where the Humanities Scholars Program comes in and can assist with those students kind of helping them achieve their goals. Yeah, intellectual curiosity can yeah. lead to so many great things, right? It's yeah. absolutely incredible. Yes. Um, so yeah, I mean, you're, you mentioned your family and how you're integrating your family uh, here within our community here at Cornell, mm -hmm. but with your work, family, and all your responsibilities, how do you balance everything? Because you have like such a big job here, you know, and you do so many things. So how, how do you keep yourself sane and how, how do you balance everything? Ha! Okay, that's a million dollar question. So even I don't. My answer is that I don't and no one does. So um it's it's hard it's very hard um especially now i'm working a full-time job from home i have two children who are remote schooling on many days of the week and so what and i also have a puppy and 11 chickens and a cat <laughs> so i my typical day is like i'm on a zoom meeting and at the same time, off screen, I'm over here pointing and helping with first grade math. <laughs> and then I'm back on my Zoom and then I'm over here and over there. So um, I would say, like, I think it's, you know, in life, we all want to say that we have this balance or that we're finding balance. But I think... Um, I think it just is what it is uh, when you're a parent and you work and you you find your ways to make um, everybody feel that they have been paid attention to and that you've given them your time. So, um, and I guess ways to, to keep our family balanced, like it's very much true, this saying of, sort of putting on your own oxygen mask first and then tending to the others, um, that that's really important because if I become drained from all of my responsibilities, then I can't be there to help anybody else. Um, so I try to make sure that I do get my intellectual stimulation and I do that through taking an Italian class at Cornell or attending a lecture or a, a webinar, and then doing my hobbies. I love to dance. So in pre-COVID times, I would take dance classes downtown or dance fitness classes and just try to fuel myself. That's really 
the most important thing that I've learned over years of doing this is you have to take care of yourself truly in order to take care of others. Yeah, self-care is absolutely fundamental, right? You can, if you if you're not um, able to function, how can you help others, right? That's yes. basically what you're saying. It's absolutely absolutely true. Yes, um, we have a couple more minutes here. Um, let's do a um, a round of, of a quick a quick fire round. So oh. I'll throw you out a question there, and you tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. So, um, do you think fear it, of failure it's a good or a bad thing? Fear of failure, I think, is a bad thing. I think it limits you and it doesn't allow you to explore and and kind of take you in directions that you might not have planned. So what are you the proudest of in your life? Uh, I guess I would say my children, my family. Um, that's probably a standard mom answer, but it's very true. So what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? <laughs> I wanted to be a dancer, uh -huh. um, but I am five feet tall and I was never going to be a ballerina. <laughs> <laughs> and I learned at some point that it's extremely difficult to really be a professional dancer uh, for a living. So I shifted gears, but that's what I really wanted to be. So when I say the phrase failing forward, what comes to mind? Failing forward, um, well, what comes to mind is, I think one moment in my life that could have been perceived as a failure, but really, pushed me in a different direction was that after my master's program in art history, everyone in my cohort, and there were six of us, everyone was applying to PhD programs. And so I did too, because I thought, well, this is what we're supposed to do. And the one that I really wanted to get into, the only one that I really thought, if I get in, I'm going to go, I didn't get in. And it felt like a failure at the time. And I just thought, I have no idea what I'm going to do now. Everybody else is going to do this and I'm not. What do I do? And I had a faculty member in, in my master's program. We kind of had lunch and it was he who said, you know, this isn't for you. Like, this is just not for you. And your skill is working with people. So you should get into museum education. And that was how that happened. And he was absolutely right. It's been very fulfilling. And I'm really glad that I didn't get in because I probably would have dropped out at some point. See, I mean, this idea of failure, right? It's a state of mind. There is no such a thing as failing, right? It's just getting a different perspective on, on something. The okay. same way with success, right? So Julie, it was such a pleasure to have you here today talking for the students that would like to know a little bit more about the humanities scholars program you can go to www.as as in artsscience.cornell.edu and you're going to have all the information for the program 
in there. For for if you would like to hear the other podcasts in our um, series, you can just access our webpage at the Alice Cook House. So you can just go to alicecookhouse.cornell.edu, click on events, and there you're gonna have uh, a link for all the podcasts that are gonna be recorded for this season. Um, Julie, again, thank you so much for joining me today. It was such a pleasure getting to know you a little bit more. I cannot wait until we can be back um, at, at our house dinners here uh, at Ellis Cook House. So thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me.